welcome to Red Pepper Nutrition's podcast. This podcast aims to spread the message that rehabilitation matters and nutrition is the foundation of health. I'm Sean Riley, a registered dietitian based in the northwest of England. I specialise in optimising nutrition after a head or traumatic injury, focused on improving health, equality and choice for all. It's about feeding quality of life and enjoying the food we eat. Let us know you are listening by following us on Twitter. Search for Sean at Red Pepper Nutrition and find out more at our website, redpeppernutrition.com. Hello and welcome to the second podcast by Red Pepper Nutrition. This podcast is a recording of the Spotlight webinar held by Physio Matters in February 2021. Here I discuss the importance of fueling rehabilitation and take a look at the emerging and exciting world of nutritional psychiatry. I would encourage you to look back at previous Spotlight webinars on the Physio Matters website at www.physio-matters.org and the previous webinars can be found in the news section of their website. Previous webinars have been done by case managers, neuropsychologists and solicitors and now myself. The webinars are a forum where we can share our knowledge and expertise in brain injury rehabilitation by communicating and networking in these strange times. Please do join the discussion on nutritional psychiatry via Twitter by using the hashtag nutritional psychiatry. So uh, what will I be talking about today? Um, Well, after Louise um, Sheffield's last uh, webinar, she used some uh, brilliant analogies. So I'm going to see if I can get as many analogies into this uh, webinar as possible. I'll be talking about the importance of fueling rehabilitation and looking at the emerging field of nutritional psychiatry. And hopefully we'll have time for some questions at the end. So I always start with this um, analogy because it really just does um, just lay the, the, uh, the scene that uh, nutrition is the foundation of health and rehabilitation. So I talk about um, our body being a temple. Um, And our body uh, really is a temple. It's um, a busy temple that's getting lots of uh, bangs and scratches um, all day, every day. Um, In our temple, we have these workers that work 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Um, And these workers go down to the storage room to um, get the necessary materials to repair um, and heal these uh, bangs um, and and damage to, to the walls. Um, so if, for instance, we've got um, a, a, a bang to, to the wall, uh, the workers would go down to the appropriate storage room and perhaps get out some plaster, get out some paint and make that, um, uh, make that repair. So you've probably guessed that these storage rooms are actually our nutrient storage rooms. And we've got hundreds of these nutrient storage rooms. And for this healing process, this repair process to work effectively and efficiently, we need all these storage rooms to be uh, full of the necessary uh, materials. Um, so for most of us, our storage rooms are hopefully full, uh, but for, for some, they uh, won't be full because of the high nutritional needs. So this might be in the case of, say, a growing teenager who's depleting the nutrient storage rooms really quickly. 
um, or someone who even is simply just dieting um, and some of their nutrient storage rooms are um, depleted and restricted because of the uh, restriction of foods. Um, so for our clients um, after a traumatic injury, it's like an earthquake has hit their temple and the damage to their earthquake to their temple is, is immense. These workers get straight to work repairing, but they're depleting the storage rooms really quickly. And uh, the hospital dietitians, the uh, medics will be will be working really hard to uh, make sure that they're getting the necessary nutrition in. Um, and of course, for many of our clients, um, it's not just the earthquake that damages their temple. There's a number of aftershocks. So this might be um, a further surgery um, or picking up further infections. Um, so um, nutrition really is the building blocks of, of repair and healing. And for many of our clients, unfortunately, uh, rehabilitation often starts in a state of malnutrition or even a state of starvation. So uh, what is malnutrition and what is starvation? Um, malnutrition is poor nutrition. It's not getting enough nutrients or getting more than you need. So it's looking at those storage rooms. Some storage rooms may be overflowing and some may be depleted and that's malnutrition. Um, starvation is where we're not getting enough food and the body actually begins to shut down and break down. Um, it, it shuts down um, uh, processes that it doesn't feel is essential. Um, but it also starts breaking down our protein stores. So do we see malnutrition and starvation in rehabilitation? We absolutely do. And we need to be identifying it and recognizing it promptly. And quite often it's, you know, it's not just about um, the depleted storage rooms. Some of these storage rooms can be overflowing, if you like. So quite often we don't, we don't see, we don't recognize malnutrition and starvation in perhaps some of our clients who are overweight or obese. Um, because we're kind of blinded by that, but, but they definitely can be malnourished and uh, suffering from starvation. So um, in starvation, we talked about the breakdown of protein and most of our protein stores is it, are in our muscles. Um, and we have muscles in our arms and our legs and the physios will talk about the importance of keeping these uh, muscle st stores um, strong. If we get breakdown of muscles um, in our arms and our legs, then we get reduced mobility, which has a huge impact on rehabilitation. Um, our heart is also a muscle. And again, we'll get the breakdown of um, protein in, in our heart. Um, our immune system uses up a lot of protein. This is, of course, of uh, great importance at the moment with the, in the COVID pandemic. We want our immune system operating um, as well as it possibly can be. But it's also an issue with the COVID um, vaccine, um, amazing um, effort with the immunization process. But we need our immune system to be doing the work once we've been given that vaccine um, so that we're making antibodies um, to COVID. Of course, the speech and language therapists um, amongst us will tell us the importance uh, and the complexity of the swallow muscles. So um, quite often after a, a brain injury, um, we can have um, issues with swallow function. If we're also suffering from uh, the breakdown of protein, suffering from malnutrition and starvation, then um, these muscles will get weaker. Um, and if these muscles are getting weaker and our swallow is impaired, then we have increased risk of malnutrition and dehydration, increased risk of choking and aspiration and increased risk of pneumonia. So it's that this vicious cycle um, that we've got with the swallow. 
So what are the effects of malnutrition and starvation? Well, they did um, a really interesting study in 1945 before ethics uh, came into play. Um, and this is called the Minnesota or the Keys Starvation Study. And they took 36 young fit men. Um, now I've highlighted young and fit there because um, these men, you would hope their nutrient stores were, um, were full. They haven't been through an earthquake like many of our rehabilitation clients have gone through. So they're starting from a really good place. And they put these young fit men on a six month semi-starvation diet. So one of the things to notice here is that they were having about 1,500 calories a day. So this was half of their requirements that was calculated. Um, but if, if you look at that number, that's actually quite a high amount of calories. You know, you think of some of your clients or some of your family or friends who are perhaps on a diet trying to lose weight. Would you be surprised if they were telling you, oh, I'm having 1,500 calories a day? Would it scream alarm bells that oh, actually maybe they're suffering from malnutrition and starvation here? So what were the effects of going on this semi-starvation diet for six months? Well, physically, they saw the muscle breakdown that we talked about before. Um, they um, had decreased heart and metabolic rate. Um, so again, we talked about the heart muscle breaking down. Metabolic rates are like our internal factory. So when you, get, when you get reduced metabolic rate, basically your body is shutting down some of the processes that it doesn't feel are um, essential. Also suffered from hair loss, headaches and fatigue. Um, socially, they became quite withdrawn and actually food became their main topic of conversation. So these are 1945 men and they started reading cookery magazines, uh, which I think is quite an interesting social activity. Um, cognitively, they had a lack of concentration, comprehension and alertness. And psychologically, they became depressed, had anxiety, irritable, outbursts of anger, binge eating and food cravings. So I would just say looking at those symptoms of young fit men going through six months semi-starvation, quite often we see these symptoms in our clients and we put it down to their injury, uh, but we really need to be identifying if this could be coming from starvation. So when we're talking about nutrition for mental health and we're talking about fueling rehabilitation, we're talking about fueling the physical side of rehabilitation, but also the mental health side of rehabilitation as well. Nutrition isn't going to completely solve everything. It's not some magic bullet. And the analogy I like to use is that we've all got hurdles to get over in our life. Many of our clients in rehabilitation have got quite huge hurdles that they need to get over. Good nutrition um, can reduce those hurdles somewhat and poor nutrition in reverse can increase the hurdles. We really need to be reducing those hurdles as much as possible um, to help our clients to get over them. When, when I'm talking about um, nutrition uh, with clients, I'm often talking about prevention of chronic diseases such as uh, heart disease, stroke, um, obesity. And these um, issues can often take decades um, to come um, uh, into, into uh, play. Whereas when we're talking about nutrition for mental health, 
this we can see an almost immediate effect on someone's mental health and their well-being and happiness so is this providing additional motivation when we talk about nutrition for mental health it's also something that's more controllable for the individual possibly and we're also um it's preventing um other chronic diseases so really we're killing two birds with one stone there so when we're talking about nutritional psychiatry, we need to see it as just one piece of the jigsaw puzzle of health. And we need to look at it holistically and we need to be looking at our clients holistically. Another of my analogies that I love to use is, is the wheel. Um, we need to we, we want to have a nice round wheel. <laughs> if you look at the spokes of our wheel, it's all things like um, physical activity and um, exercise. Um, one, another spoke may be medication, another spoke may be spiritual or occupational, another uh, spoke would be psychological, and of course there's a nutrition spoke. If all these spokes are of equal length, we have a nice round wheel and we're, we're treating um, holistically. If we ignore one of these spokes, then we're going to have a wonky wheel and nobody wants a wonky wheel. And the other side is um, that uh, if, if we put too much emphasis on one of these spokes, and this can quite often happen with nutrition, uh, people can over-focus on the nutrition spoke. Again, you're still going to have a wonky wheel. So um, it's keeping it all nice and round. So um, one of the first um, studies, uh, randomized control studies that was, was done um, looking at nutrition, um, in the uh, uh, nutritional psychiatry uh, was done in 2017. I've got some of these tweets coming out as I'm speaking, probably uh, using the hashtag nutritional psychiatry. So if you want to look at these um, studies in more detail, you can. So this study was um, aptly named the SMILE study, and it was a 12-week treatment of moderate to severe depression. It was a randomized control trial, which is really interesting and exciting for us in the world of nutrition. We don't have many randomized control trials. And they looked at, um, they put one group into a nutritional education from a dietitian group. And uh, the dietitians were recommending um, a version of the Mediterranean diet. Um, so the Mediterranean diet is, uh, just like the picture there, high in fruits and vegetables, high in whole grains, nuts and seeds, high in lean meats, and in particular, um, oily fish. The control group were in a social support group, um, so they were having social support, talking to someone. And the importance of this is because um, dietitians are such lovely people. Um, obviously, having that um, talking therapy with someone may be what um, helped their depression. So the results on the left hand side, um, you can see the nutritional education from diet dietitian group. And you can see this reduction. So the dark gray box is the before, the light gray box is the um, after 12 weeks. And you can see this uh, reduction in their depression scores. The control group also saw a reduction in their depression scores, but this wasn't significant. Um, so the, this randomized control trial um, concluded that they had evidence for dietary improvement as an efficacious treatment for treating major depression, depressive episodes. So when we're looking at nutritional psychiatry, how, how does um, mental health um, 
influence our, our brain, what, what's going on at the cellular level, if you like. So um, we've got um, issues with inflammation, um, oxidative stress, our gut microbes play a really part, uh, important part in mental health and neuroplasticity, this um, regeneration of neurons within our brain. But really it's nutrition has been the building block of all of these processes. So looking at inflammation, we want inflammation in the short term. Inflammation is a bit like that friend that comes around for a cup of tea. You want them there at first, um, but if they overstay their welcome, it, it's not great. And this is the same with inflammation. Acute inflammation is great. Chronic inflammation isn't great. And we see um, inflammation a lot um, after an injury. We see uh, particularly brain injury. We see this primary um, inflammation from the actual trauma itself and the secondary inflammation as our body starts to uh, get to work. Particularly in brain injury, our, our brain has its own immune system, which is very protective and very reactive. So once turned on, it's very difficult to turn this immune system off. We also see inflammation with autoimmune diseases. So this is where our body is reacting to um, things in our body and thinks it's a foreign object when it isn't. Inflammation has uh, been found to be a, both a cause of um, obesity and we have increased inflammation in obesity. So we, uh, we believe that the uh, fat cells in our body are actually producing um, hormones that uh, result in inflammation. Smoking and stress and poor sleep all contribute to inflammation and of course poor diet. So a diet that's high in calories, high in fat and sugar can also increase inflammation in our body. So we want to be using foods to have an anti-inflammatory effect and be calming down this long-term inflammation. So foods that are really good are those Mediterranean um, diet foods that we discussed before in the SMILE study. So that's the, uh, the number of the um, diet high in fruit and vegetables, high in whole grains, nuts, seeds and lean proteins. And also um, oily fish, um, omega-3s in oily fish. So um, these, these uh, fats are called polyunsaturated fatty acids, and these are the good fats um, in, our, in, our, in our diet. Um, they're also called essential fatty acids, um, and they're essential because our body doesn't make them. Um, we, have, we have to eat them, we have to get them from our diet. But the most important thing is that we've got a and is the ratio of these um, fat polyunsaturated fatty acids. So if you look at the anti-inflammatory um, polyunsaturated fatty acids, these are called omega-3s. And these are found in vegetarian sources such as rapeseed oil, linseeds, walnuts. They're also available in oily fish such as salmon, sardines and mackerel. The pro-inflammatory um, unsaturated fatty acids are called omega-6 and these are often found in sunflower oil and sunflower oil is often used in manufactured foods. So what we're finding is that we're having an increased amount of manufactured foods, the processed foods in our diet and we're increasing the amount of pro-inflammatory omega-3s and we're decreasing the amount of anti-inflammatory anti-inflammatory omega-3s in, in our diet. So looking close, clo a bit closer at omega-3s, these, these essential fatty acids, and we um, refer to them as ALA, 
DHA and EPA. Now, ALA are our heart-healthy omega-3s, and they reduce inflammation in our hearts, which, of course, is uh, very much needed. And these um, omega-3s are coming from vegetarian sources, such as rapeseed oil, uh, linseeds, flaxseeds, chia seeds, walnuts. Um, and a small amount of these ALA get converted into DHA or EPA. And these are the brain healthy omega-3s and they actually make up 30% of our brain. So they're really important for, as a building block as well as an anti-inflammatory effect. So it's recommended that we have one to two portions of oily fish per week for women um, of childbearing age. Um, if, you, if you're a man, uh, you can usually go for more than uh, two portions if you so wish. I will re be releasing um, a guest blog post about omega-3s and um, brain health um, using the hashtag nutritional psychiatry, and that will go into more details about supplementation as well. So um, oxidative stress is really important when we're talking about mental health. Our brain has a really high um, oxygen need, and unfortunately, oxygen can become unstable, and it it forms these uh, quite angry looking free radicals and they uh, go and bash our, our neurons and damage our neurons. So in terms of mental health, it's been um, shown that mental health issues such as schizophrenia and depression have got increased levels of these oxidative stress markers, so increased free radicals and also lower antioxidant levels. So um, what are antioxidants? So antioxidants are a range of vitamins and minerals that actually they're, they're very kind. They basically give an electron to an unstable free radical, making it stable again. So these vitamins and minerals can be found in a whole range of foods. Um, you might have also heard of phytochemicals. These are chemicals that plant foods produce, which are, have antioxidant properties. As Colin quite rightly mentioned, the phytochemicals give uh, fruits and vegetables their uh, colour. So this is why we encourage a rainbow plate when it comes to your fruits and vegetables, because different colours of fruits and vegetables will have different phytochemicals and different antioxidants in. Polyphenols are also found in a whole range of plant foods and also you'll be pleased to know found in things like red wine and dark chocolate. So interestingly, they've looked at antioxidants on their own, so vitamins and minerals on their own in supplement form and, and don't get the same antioxidant effect as whole, uh, whole foods, so whole fruits and whole veg. So neuroplasticity and neurogenesis, um, we obviously, are, are, our neurons are, are dying all the time and we want to be uh, having this process as optimal as possible and that new uh, uh, neurons can form as well. So there's um, something called a brain-derived neurotrophic factor in our brain that is a signal protein. It signals um, to, uh, to, for the destruction of cell death, neuron death. So it mediates neurogenesis, so the making of new cells, but it also prevents neuron death. So my analogy for this is a game of hungry hippos. Your, your neurons are your hippos. 
and your uh, brain-derived neurotrophic factor are the balls in the game of hungry hippos. So your hungry hippos want to grab as many of those balls as possible. If they have these balls, then they're safe and they're not, they don't signal their destruction. If they don't have the hungry hippo balls, um, if they don't have brain-derived neurotrophic factor, then they signal cell death um, and they're destroyed. So really in the game of hungry hippos, we want to have as many of these balls as possible in the game so that all our cells have got as much chance as possible of grabbing one of the balls because not enough of these balls would result in cell death. So we've found that there's decreased levels of this brain-derived neurotrophic factor in diseases such as Parkinson's disease, Alzheimer's disease, multiple sclerosis, Huntington's disease, type 2 diabetes and obesity. And there's increased and increased levels of brain-derived neurotrophic factor, improved cognitive function and improved mental health. And the good news is that diet, exercise, sleep and socialising, which is really important, <laughs> improves our BDNF levels. So we need to get uh, back to socialising. But how does diet improve our BDNF levels? Um, so there are foods such as curcumin, which is also uh, the spiced turmeric that increases these levels. Green tea, oily fish again, nuts and seeds, um, and also blueberries are a very potent food that increases BDNF levels. And also interestingly, vitamin D, our sunshine hormone, is positively linked to increase BDNF. So when, so when we've got higher vitamin D levels, we've got higher BDNF levels. And a diet high in sugar and saturated fat um, reduces our BDNF levels. So again, it's, it's this Mediterranean diet that we're looking for. So our gut brain access, it, axis is really important when we're talking about mental health. You, you might have heard it saying that we've got brain in our gut as well as in our head. Um, and this is very much true. The communication is going on all the time between our gut and our brain. And the communication from our, from our gut is mostly coming from the good bacteria that live in our large intestine. So we've got trillions of these uh, good and bad bacteria that are living in our large bowel. And um, our gut is responsible for the absorption of nutrients. So even nutrients as simple as uh, glucose is providing energy to our brain. It's also, um, our gut is also responsible for uh, neurotransmitter produce, production. Many of the uh, nutrients we're absorbing are precursors for neurotransmitters, particular serotonin. There's actually more serotonin in our gut than in our brain. Our good bacteria produce something called short-chain fatty acids, and these are really interesting. They're like neuromodulators, uh, they're neuroactive compounds, and they, they provide uh, nutrition for the, the cell wall, for our bowel cell wall, and they also communicate with the brain, increasing those BDNF brain-derived neurotrophic factors that we were talking about before. And the balance of our good and bad bacteria is really important for inflammation as well, which we've, we've talked about, that we're wanting to reduce this chronic inflammation. 
So the important thing with our gut bacteria is that we're getting as much diversity in there as possible. It's like looking at a field of wildflowers that you don't want the weeds to grow. The more, the more different types of wildflowers you've got in there, the more likely it is to keep the weeds away. So for instance, if one wildflower doesn't like a particular uh, condition, uh, environmental condition, you've got those other flowers to take its place rather than the weeds to grow. So uh, why is bacterial diversity so important? What, what does the research say? Well, there's decreased bacterial diversity in depression. We've also found through research that we get increased gut permeability with high fat diets. When we get increased gut permeability, we get inflammation. They've looked at fecal microbiota transplants. So they've basically taken the microflora from the gut of a healthy person and perhaps put it into the, the gut of, um, uh, of someone perhaps with depression and found that their um, depression scores have reduced through this. They've also looked at probiotic supplements. So this is adding the good bacteria into our body through a pill form. And again, that's got really positive effects on mental health. We can also be getting those good bacteria in through naturally fermented foods. So there's things like yogurts. You just have to make sure they're not pasteurized within an inch of their life. Um, there's the drink uh, kefir, which I may have pronounced very wrong. That's like, it's like a fizzy milk. It's quite an acquired taste. Um, and there's also uh, sauerkraut, which is fermented cabbage. And these natural fermented foods would have been a really big part of our diet in the past because we were trying to uh, store food safely. But of course, now with so much food availability, we're having a, a real a reduction in these fermented foods. But the really important thing is not just to focus on the probiotic, which is your good bacteria. It's also feeding the bacteria that are in there, feeding the good bacteria in there. And these are called prebiotics. And prebiotics, the food for the good bacteria, are things like they're in a range of fruits and vegetables, beans, whole grains, nuts, seeds. So it's all these foods that we're talking about um, in the Mediterranean diet. So nutraceuticals, this is a really interesting area of science, looking at uh, whether we can put these vitamins, minerals, nutrients into a pill form. And, and these nutraceuticals are nutritional and medically functional foods. Can we get the same effects with food? So with these nutraceuticals, with a pill, if you like, rather than having food. So there is a huge number of nutrients that are linked to improvements in nutritional health. Um, however, I just want to talk about a few of them um, here. So omega-3 fatty acid supplements. So if you don't eat fish, um, don't like fish, um, or you're a vegetarian, vegan, then it's, it's really important to be having um, an omega-3 uh, fatty acid supplement. The research, however, has been shown in quite huge amounts of this EPA, so one to two grams per day, which from, from looking at um, omega-3 supplements, it's really hard to get that amount. However, if you are looking for an omega-3 supplement, look for a high strength one, um, and that usually has a better ratio um, and a better content of this EPA. Research is quite positive looking at probiotics, tablets or probiotics through uh, drinks. 
research when we're looking into anything nutrition nutritional isn't great as what you'd expect for pharmaceutical products and everyone's gut flora is completely unique to them it's like your own fingerprint so trying to get re research to look at significant improvements is really hard to do there's a number of vitamins and minerals that are linked to depression, folate, magnesium, iron, zinc, vitamin B12, vitamin C, um, and also vitamin D as well. Now, the research on vitamin D isn't that conclusive looking at mental health. However, we are all advised to take 10 micrograms per day um, over the winter months. And that's because we know that our nutrient stores of vitamin D in this country are really low, uh, in, particularly in the winter and spring months, because it's also the sunshine hormone. Um, so it, we, uh, we don't get a huge amount of that in this country. So vitamin D is good for general health as well as mental health. There's a load of amino acids. I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce some of these and uh, protein supplements that have been linked to improved mental health. Uh, one that I will talk about uh, briefly is creatine. This is often used as a small sports supplement. Myself and the physiomatters, uh, physio Kirsten Agnew, are actually about to release um, a new blog post um, looking at creatine in health and rehabilitation and particularly brain health. That's a really interesting one to look for. So can, can, are we best pills or food? Which one? As a dietitian, I always say food first. Research into individual nutrients just isn't there at the moment. It's exciting and it's got potential, but it's, it's not as good as perhaps what you'd expect from the pharmaceutical research. I also find that compliance with uh, nutritional supplements is usually low. Uh, we forget to take them, so it's, so it's really difficult, whereas we don't seem to forget to eat <laughs> quite the same. Also, nutrients work together in their absorption and when they're in foods that they're there already, so they're working together. So some nutrients will increase the absorption of another. So, for instance, um, iron's absorption is increased if it's with a vitamin C containing food. So, um, you know, your glass of orange juice with your fortified breakfast cereal in the morning. Nutrients can also mask other deficiencies. So a case of this is high High supplements of folate can actually uh, mask deficiencies in vitamin B12 and therefore can delay uh, treatment and identification. Foods contain, of course, a number of nutrients. So we can't, uh, you know, if we just put those individual nutrients into a pill form, we're not getting the protein with that. We're not getting the essential fatty acids with that. Um, and we also need to be looking at the bigger picture. We need to be looking at the prevention of malnutrition and starvation. We've got all these many hundreds of nutrient stores in our temple um, and we need to be keeping them all full. If we just concentrate on one nutrient, what about all the other 99 nutrients? So finally, I like to really keep it simple. When we're looking um, into nutraceuticals, um, it can all get a bit complex, really. And I want to just bring it back to food. Um, this is um, an interesting study uh, done in 2016, looking at 12,000 Australian adults. It's a longitudinal study, and they looked at the portions of fruit and vegetables that they were eating. And um, they found that the more portions of fruit and vegetables people were eating each day, 
the greater their change in life satisfaction score. This might mean more to the occupational therapist than it, it does to me, but there was a psychological gain of moving from unemployment to employment. And I think it's just really interesting to see the difference between someone who's having naught to one portions of fruit and vegetables a day to somebody who's having seven and eight portions of fruit and vegetables per day. Uh, we're advised to have five or more portions of fruit and vegetables per day. And you can see from a mental health point of view, this is really important. What I like about this in terms of keeping it simple is that we can just make small steps. So we can just increase our fruit and veg by one portion per day. And we can see that we're, we're moving up along, along that life satisfaction score. So to summarize, nutrition is the foundation of health and rehabilitation. And it's really important that we're identifying and treating malnutrition and starvation. Nutritional psychiatry is a really exciting area of research, but it's a complex science. The more we look into that, the more we realize we don't know. However, food and diet, you can keep it simple. It's a varied, balanced diet. It's a way of life. It's making those small changes. However, nutritional psychiatry um, does offer um, an element of independence and control. It's that shorter term motivation and improvements in quality of life. So we will go on to questions. Um, like I say, I have timed some tweets to come out of some of the uh, blogs that, that we've talked about or some of the research articles. So please do look at them. Um, just to say that please look out for the creatine and rehabilitation blog coming soon from myself and Kirsty. There's also a, a guest blog post on omega-3 fatty acids and also the food and uh, medicine working together for health and rehabilitation uh, article. And if you're a bit more interested in vitamin D, particularly at the moment, I've got a news article um, about COVID-19 and vitamin D. So please do check that out on the website. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. And please do pop over to the Physio Matters website to see the Spotlight webinar in full, including some question and answers from Physio Matters physiotherapist Anastasia. A huge thank you to the Physio Matters team for this opportunity and the Spotlight webinars.